All right, good morning, Hilton Head Islands. Thanks for letting me be here with you guys. Uh, as Todd introduced me earlier, my name is Clint, and my family, my wife and I, have three beautiful little girls. We live in Atlanta, Georgia, and we've been able to see how God has worked through this church uh, over the last decade from the beginning, and it's been amazing and beautiful uh, to meet many of you. I don't know all of you, and so if I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service today. Um, if you have questions or anything after the service, come talk to me. I'd love to hear your story and meet you. My wife and I uh, work with college students in Atlanta, and it's fun. It's a lot of fun to work with college students. Um, and we're going to hear some stories of some of our ministry uh, experiences in Atlanta this morning. But uh, really what we're, we're looking at today is the final message in this series on the case for Christ that this church has been going through for the last month, the last four weeks. And this morning we're going to dive into this aspect of explaining the good news of Jesus. What does it look like to explain the good news? How do we explain the good news? Right? And uh, I know you guys have been hearing some great content over the last few weeks. Um, so I'm praying with Pastor Todd and the, the church and hopefully with all of you that the truths and the takeaways from this series would continue to go out and have a ripple effect in this community. The, the, the truths that you've been exploring and we've been exploring would go out and resonate with the people right around us. And then we would engage with the power of God, with the people around us, to see lasting transformation in the lives of the people on this island, throughout Beaufort County, in Bluffton, wherever, wherever God would take you. And so um, we're going to get into the word a lot this morning, but let me pray for us first again. Heavenly Father, I pray, would you give us ears to hear your truth, your word, as we get into your scripture, open our hearts, open our minds to embrace what you want us to take away, what you want us to put into action. And God, I do pray that our hands would move to action. And that we would continue to live out this good news in the lives of the people around us. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak powerfully in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's open the Bible together. We're going to open up to Matthew 5 and look at a passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This famous sermon, this probably the greatest sermon ever delivered. We're going to take a look at an aspect of this sermon that's going to drive where we're going this morning. And in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, here's what Jesus says to the people who have started following him. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but up on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here Jesus is speaking 
is speaking a radically new idea to these people who are the first audience of this, right? They understand, they, they recognize the value of salt and how important light is, right? Um, 2,000 years ago, before we had chemicals to preserve food, um, before we pumped everything we ate full of chemicals, they used salt to preserve a lot. Salt was used to resist decay. Salt was used to preserve and to protect what was nourishing and good. And it added flavor. It added taste to what was bland. And as we look at this, Jesus is opening up and speaking to his followers, saying, we have to live like salt. We have to resist the decay that is in the world that we see and experience all around us. We have to preserve the goodness, the good news, the, the truth of his kingdom, his purposes. We have to make people thirst for God. And this is sobering for us to hear, but he says tasteless salt, essentially salt that has lost its purpose, that can't do what it was intended to do, what it was designed and purposed to do. When salt loses its purpose, it becomes useless. He speaks this hard truth. He says it's, it's not good for anything with kingdom value and purposes. And, and for us, and I think for me, I think, Lord, help me continue to be in line with your kingdom purposes, not my own. Don't let me wander astray to my own purposes that lose sight of you. And similarly, he says, you are the light of the world, right? How many of you have woken up in the middle of the night at some point and you just think, uh, I could turn the light on, but I'm instead just going to wander in the dark through the house and risk bumping into something, right? What inevitably happens in that moment? You bump into something, you stub your toe, uh, you get frustrated, upset. Worst case scenario, you're going to the ER or you know, emergency care, and you think, why didn't I just turn on the light, right? But when you go over to the light and you turn on the light, the light doesn't reply to you. A lamp doesn't speak back and say, uh, you know, I'd rather if you didn't turn me on. I'd, I'd, I'd rather just continue to be dark. Why don't you go over to the lamp on the other side of the room, actually? Turn that lamp on instead. Right? That's ridiculous. A lamp doesn't do that. A lamp does what it was intended and purposed to do, to illuminate the darkness. Right? It brings light to what's really going on. It exposes the truth. And have, have you ever noticed, maybe this was especially true in, in light of the hurricane uh, last year, but sometimes you turn the light on, and you ever notice that all of a sudden you realize, wow, there, there's a cockroach problem in the house, right? And you turn the light on, and, and you see these cockroaches flee. Or, or maybe even you see that cute, furry, adorable little pantry-raiding mouse. And you think, we have a problem. We have a problem, right? They scatter, they flee. You turn the light on and it, it illuminates the darkness and it illuminates the problems. And similarly, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to brightly illuminate what is going on in the world. Darkness flees. People see what is truly good and it's compelling. People want to engage in that. And Jesus says at the end of this passage in Matthew 5, he says, when this happens, they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
right? And when we live as salt and light in the world, the result is that people come to God. They come to Christ, and they worship him, and they adore him, and they glorify him. And over the course of this series, you all have been hearing this formula. I know Todd, Pastor Todd, has been explaining this formula coming out of John 1.12, right? The formula, the faith formula is what? Believe plus what? Receive equals become, all right? So if you're new here this morning, this faith formula from John 1.12, believe plus receive equals become. But here's the thing. We can't believe and receive the truth of the gospel and who Jesus is unless we really hear and understand and accept and embrace the truth, right? We're not going to believe and receive something until we understand and accept it. But we're not going to hear and understand and accept it unless someone comes to present it, to help us through it, to help us understand it. And someone's not going to help us understand it unless they're sent to be salt and light in the world, right? And, and the, the Apostle Paul explains this in, in Romans chapter 10. We won't get into that right now, but in Romans 10, he, he basically gets that people won't believe and receive until people are sent to be the salt and light in the world. And then that's when Christ-driven transformation happens. So at Georgia State in Atlanta, um, back in February, I met a student named Howie. Howie's a sophomore studying business and hospitality management. And Howie had reached out to a friend. Or Howie's, Howie's not a believer. He doesn't know Jesus. And he had reached out to a friend who happens to be another student in our ministry. And Howie had been experiencing some crazy, uh, tragic events in his life. Some things were happening in his life that really were messing with him. And he reached out to this friend and, and he said, hey, uh, this girl in our ministry said, hey, I've seen your life. And I've, I've noticed there's something different about it. And I know your faith is so important to you. I know you really love this Jesus. And I'm honestly just kind of trying to figure this out. All right, so this girl in our ministry and how we start talking, but, but quickly she realizes, okay, I think I need some help with this. It would be good to get a guy into this conversation too. So she calls me and she says, Clint, I remember hearing your testimony back in, the fall. So this last fall, I had a chance to share the story of God's work in my life. She heard my story, and it compelled her to want to live more proactively and boldly uh, with her faith among her peers, her friends. And because of that, Howie came to her, and he said, I've seen your life, and it's different. So she calls me. She said, so will you talk to Howie for me? I said, I would love to. I'd love to talk to Howie. So we meet up in the student center. I said, how I understand uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we're, we're meeting is just because you're exploring this faith um, issue and, and religion and Christianity. Tell me your story. So he starts unpacking the story of his, his upbringing, his family. They grew up in a, a very conservative, rural, small town in the south, a uh, very fundamentalist, legalist church environment. And through some things that happened in their church, it totally repelled them. And they, they were left with a lot of pain, wounding, and bitterness toward the church. And so he said, I grew up not only not wanting to go to church, but really hating the church. I didn't want to have anything to do with religion. I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus. He said, I don't even believe God really exists. He said, but, and he shared a lot of things that had happened. He said, but I'm starting to second think that now. 
I'm starting to question, is this right? Is there more to this? So I said, Howie, man, tell me what are you really after? What are you seeking? And here's what Howie said to me. He said, I want to know who God really is and follow what is true. And I've got a lot of questions. So can we talk about it? I said, man, I would love to talk with you about this. I would love to talk with you about this. I said, Howie, here, I have a Bible. I had an extra Bible I wanted to give him. I said, man, will you take this? And here's, here's this book in the Bible, the Gospel of John. Will you start reading through this? Let's get back together next week, same time, same place, here in the student center, and let's talk about whatever questions, observations you have. Just read one or two chapters in the Gospel of John. He says, okay, great. So he goes my way, his, his way, I go my way. We come back together the next week. He says, Clint, I've got this list. And he puts this piece of paper down on the table, and it's a full piece of paper full of questions. And he turns it over, and it's full of questions on the backside. I'm thinking, oh, no, what am I getting myself into here? He says, I've got some questions. He said, I know you said to read through the first two, chap- two chapters, but... Man, once I got into it, I just wanted to keep going. So I really read through the whole book, and I'm starting to read through a lot of the rest of this New Testament. I'm thinking, this, is, this has been in a week. You're eating this up. And so Howie had these questions. He says, the first thing, man, I'm stuck on is in John 3. And, and this passage that's very familiar to a lot of us was brand new to him. To us, it may seem like yesterday's old news, but to him, it was front page headlines. And in John 3, 16 through 18, how he gets stuck on this. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And how he asks me, he says, so what is it that we're really supposed to believe in about Jesus? And he says, and am I condemned for not believing this? I think, wow, (laughs) this is as real as it gets. Here's this guy who not only needs to hear the gospel explained to him, but he's hungering for it, right? He wants it. He's saying, I want to hear this. Talk to me. Tell me. What does this mean? And so here in front of me is this incredible opportunity to explain the good news of Jesus Christ. As we've been going through the Case for Christ um, series, as you've been progressing through this, this story based on the life uh, of Lee Strobel, his family, his wife, Leslie Strobel. You've seen some clips. How many of you have actually seen the movie, the whole movie? All right, so a good number of you have. We're going to take a look at a clip here uh, from The Case for Christ. And be warned, this is an intense scene. All right, the scene we're going to look at, it's a pretty intense scene. Um, and the girl that's at the focal point in this, she's okay. So you can rest assured she's, she's okay in this scene. But what we're going to see is we're going to see the beginning progression of how the gospel started to come to Leslie and her husband, Lee Strobel, through this woman 
Alfie. Take a look at this clip. Mm-hmm. Sweetie. Allie, what is it, baby? Are you choking? I think she's choking. Shall we come on, call? Allie, it's okay, sweetheart. I'm right here. Okay, stay calm. Look at that. Oh, please do Come on, call, Allie. Come on, baby. Leave somebody help me, please. Call an ambulance. Baby, you have to breathe right now, okay? Just, you, you need to breathe. Give her, give her some space. Come on, baby, please. Look at Daddy. Okay, breathe for me. You're gonna be all right. I love you, sweetheart. Just hand it to me, quick, quick. I'm a nurse. Quick, quick. Stay here. Come on, come on, baby. Come on, come on, Allie. Call for me. We need you. To, we need you to call. Can you do that, honey? Can you? She's going to be fine now. We are so lucky. Well, it's not luck. It's Jesus. <laughs> My husband and I went our way to another restaurant tonight. Something told me I need to be here. Wow. As a father with three little girls, this scene gets to me every time I see it. Um, how powerful is that, though? That if Alfie, who loved Jesus didn't make herself available to listening to God and being moved by God, what would have happened? Here she said, you know, my husband and I, we were planning on going to another restaurant. But Jesus said, no, you got to go here. I don't even know what that would have sounded like to her. But she made herself available to moving in the direction God was moving her. And the result of that is that her and Leslie began this relationship. And we don't necessarily see how that unfolded, but the story was that she started reaching out to Leslie. Leslie and her built this friendship, and Leslie ends up accepting Christ. She receives Jesus. She believes in Jesus because of Alfie's influence in her life. Alfie explains the gospel to her. And then God uses Leslie to begin working at her husband, who's antagonistic. And afraid in a lot of ways and against the gospel. And over time, God works. And Lee Strobel receives Jesus and believes in Jesus. And can you imagine what it would be like if Alfie had said, No, God, I'm going to do what I want. An ordinary person God used to have this generational effect and impact the lives of this family, who now, over the course of years, millions of people have been impacted through Lee's writing, his teaching, his preaching, through this movie. And God used an ordinary person like Alfie to, to continue this and to keep this going. But here's the thing. The big question for all of us is, how do we actually share the gospel? How do we share this? How do we communicate this? How do we explain this to the people right around us? And, and what I would love to do is to take just a moment and say, you know what? If we don't understand and accept and embrace what, what I call these three pillars of the gospel, it's going to be really hard to pass that on. 
to someone else. And these three pillars are simple. And, and Pastor Todd's been walking through this over the last few weeks. But to reiterate a lot of this, this is the gospel, simply. Right? It's to believe and accept the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus was a life of law fulfillment. And here's what I mean by that. God has set in motion for all of us a series of commands and laws. He commands us to fulfill, to uphold. We're obligated to uphold these laws, right? He has these laws for us. And ultimately, they're for our good. And ultimately, they're to give him glory and to be for our good and the joy of the people around us. And and the reality is we can't fulfill them. We can't fulfill these laws. We're, We're broken. We're sinful. The Bible says our heart is wickedly deceptive and evil above all things. And so here we are where we cannot live the life God is asking us to live. We can't do it. And enter Jesus. Jesus comes in, sent by God, to live a perfect, holy, righteous, unblemished, fully obedient life on our behalf. He was tempted to sin. Satan himself tempted him. He endured suffering and hardship and persecution and pain and through every aspect of it, he lived perfect, full righteousness and obedience. Not because he had to, he wanted to for us. So what happens is the good news is that when God the Father looks at us, he sees us, he doesn't see this imperfection anymore. Through Jesus, those who have received and believe him, God sees the perfect life of Jesus. He lived a life we couldn't live. The first pillar of the gospel. second pillar of the gospel is that he paid a penalty we could not pay, his death, the death of Jesus, right? Which is the sin atonement. Jesus recognized that the penalty for our imperfect life, for our sin, was death. The wrath of God. And Jesus willingly entered into that, where he said, you can't pay this. This debt is too great. There's absolutely no way, it's impossible, you could pay this and earn favor with God. So I'm going to do it for you. And Jesus comes in and he willingly puts himself in a position where he endures the excruciating pain of the cross. Right? That word excruciating literally is derived from crucifixion. It's a separate word given to a kind of pain and suffering that we experience in something as grotesque as a crucifixion. And Jesus endured a excruciating pain that was the fulfillment of God's wrath being poured on him so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty. He lived a life we couldn't live. He paid a penalty we couldn't pay. And then the most beautiful part of all this that we cling to, this hope is, he rose to conquer sin and death that we couldn't do. And he invites us into this eternal enthronement with him. A law fulfillment, a sin atonement, and an eternal enthronement where Jesus conquered death so that we could come be with him, right? So that we could rise out of this and to realize that if, if we are Christians, followers of Jesus, this world is the closest to hell we will ever experience because of Jesus' resurrection. But those who don't know Jesus, who are far from him, this world is, I'm sorry, this world is the closest to heaven they will experience. This world is the closest to heaven someone apart from Christ will ever experience. But this world is the closest to hell 
followers of Jesus will ever experience. And Jesus' resurrection opens that door for us to experience this abundant, eternal new life with him. And these are the things we have to wrap our minds around because I meet students and I meet people all the time who maybe grew up in church and they hear this, yeah, just receive Jesus and you'll be saved, which is part of this. But what is it we receive? What does salvation mean? And I meet a whole generation of people who really have no idea what the full picture of the gospel is and how beautiful and how good it is for us. And so these three pillars of the gospel then point us to a position where we can pass it on. Where if we embrace this and we say, yeah, this is what I I adhere to, I believe, this dictates my life, why would I hold it back from the people around me? And so what I want to do now is is to take just a little bit of time and look at three essentials to explaining the gospel. The first essential is this. Before you talk to your neighbors about God, talk to God about your neighbors. Talk to God about your neighbors. In Mark 1, verses 35 through 38, It says, in, in rising very, very early in the morning, Jesus getting up early in the morning while it was still dark, sun hadn't even come up yet. He gets up early in the morning, he departs, and he goes out to a desolate place where there's no distractions, nothing hindering him. And it says, and there he prayed. He prayed for the people that he was interacting with. He prayed for himself to have the strength to engage with them in his full humanity too. He's praying. And then Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. What are you doing? There are so many people to help. There's so many needs to be met. What are you doing? And Jesus said, well, let's go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. You see, Jesus spent a lot of time praying. He spent a tremendous amount of time praying. If you look through the gospel accounts, he prayed for himself. He prayed for his followers. He prayed for the world. He prayed for all future generations. Even in John chapter 17, this beautiful picture of a prayer of Jesus before he's arrested and crucified, he prays for us, us right now, currently sitting in this room, Jesus is praying for us. A British pastor named John Stott points this out. He says, Jesus even seemed to have prayed for his tormentors actually while the iron spikes were being driven through his hands and feet. Indeed, the original language suggests that he kept praying, kept repeating his entreaty to God, saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Father, forgive them they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them they do not know what they do. And And if Jesus prayed for his enemies all the way through the torture of the crucifixion, then how can we justify our failure to pray for the people we love and care about who are living in quiet rebellion against God? Jesus exemplified for us and treats us and and expects us to pray specifically, consistently, fervently for the people he puts right around us, for our neighbors. Now, some of you, maybe you've been praying for a friend for years. You don't have to raise hands, but, but how many of you have people in your life you've been praying for, right? I think we all do. And maybe some of you have been praying for a family member for years. 
or an old friend for years or a coworker for years. And maybe you think, God, is, are you doing anything? Do you hear this? Is this coming through? Because it doesn't feel like anything's happening. Or if you're like me, right, maybe you think, all right, I should pray for this person. I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes, Father, pray. And then at the end of the 10 minutes, you think, God, do you hear? And if you're like me, I get impatient after 10 minutes, after an hour, and I think, I'll move on to something else. It's so tempting to stop praying for the people we love, isn't it? Especially when it feels like it's not making a difference. But listen, don't give up. Never give up on this. Never stop lifting up that son or daughter or brother or sister or parent or neighbor or friend or whoever it is. Never stop lifting them up to God. Who have you stopped praying for? Who have you stopped praying for? Or a better question is, who will you start praying for? Who will you start today praying for? Now, this very hour, leaving here, who is it in your life that you recognize they need to know and hear and understand this good news? Who is it? The reality is that many of us, myself included, become too preoccupied, too distracted, too busy to get down on our knees and pray in the first place. Today, who will you ask God to give you the opportunity to engage with? This is the first essential to explaining the gospel of Jesus. Before you talk to your neighbors about God, Will you talk to God about your neighbors? The second essential is this. Let your neighbors know the door is always open for questions. Let your neighbors know the door is always open for questions. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make an answer or a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But... Do this with gentleness and respect. You see, when Peter writes this, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, once we inwardly receive him and believe in him, we then have to translate that into outwardly living in such a way we can engage with the questions and the people around us. Are you prepared to answer people about the hope that is in you? The people around us have all kinds of questions. In fact, at, at Georgia State, um, we do these things on campus called investigative Bible discussions, where we, um, we invite students who are mature and established in their faith, and, and we say, hey, would you be interested in is, is setting up this investigative Bible discussion in your dorm or your Greek house or wherever it is, the community you are in, most involved in? And I'll buy pizzas. I'll buy a bunch of pizzas. You invite all your friends, everyone around you. Let's get together and we'll just open the time up. Hey, you can ask anything about Jesus, the Bible, religion, spirituality, and get free pizza, right? So a, a couple years ago, I, I meet these two guys, Mike and Chris, and we get to know each other. And Mike and Chris love the Lord. And I say, hey, do you guys happen to know anyone who might be interested in starting one of these 
Bible discussions. They said, yeah, we'd love to do that. I said, well, I'll tell you, you go invite people, I'll bring pizza. All right, so I show up Thursday night, 9 p.m. at this dorm. I have three large pizzas in hand. They look at me and they're like, where's all the pizza? I'm like, what do you mean, where's all the pizza? I got three large pizzas here. They say, well, you told us to invite people, so we invited everyone in our dorm. There's 600 students in their dorm. And I'm thinking, well, we're going to need a lot more pizza, uh, but we'll see. Let's see what happens, all right? So we, we go to their dorm room, and like five people came, and they were so discouraged, and I was so encouraged. I'm thinking, this is great. Uh, you know, so we get into these conversations, and over the next few weeks, word gets out about this, and we start doing this every week. Word gets out. People start seeing, oh, you were serious about that. Yeah, I'd love to come to that. Free pizza, count me in. Within a few weeks, we had like 25 people in their dorm room. And the RA knocks on the door, and he says, what are you guys doing in here? We say, well, you know, this is what we're doing. We're talking about all this. And he says, you know, you're only allowed to have two guests per resident in a dorm room. And we're like, uh, well, who are you going to tell to leave? And he goes, well, I'm going to stay. And he joins us. He sits down with us. And we start engaging about real life issues because people have questions. And everyone's open to bringing their questions. And we point it back to the scripture. We point it back to the Bible. And you know what's so beautiful about this is oftentimes I'm at a place where I'm like, I have no idea what the answer to that question is. But I'll tell you what, let's look at it together. Let's figure it out together. Let's explore it together. And it is absolutely okay to tell people who are asking questions, I don't know. I don't know. But I want to find out. Let's find out together. And now... Over the years, we've seen students graduate from our ministry and go out into the workforce, and they start these investigative Bible discussions right where they are, because they're highly relational. I have a friend who said, I'm going to go down to this bar every Friday night, and I have friends at this bar, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to talk about these things. They can ask questions. I think, man, that's what Jesus would have done because he went and he hung out with tax collectors and sinners and he got into a lot of trouble by the local religious establishment. We have students who go out and they, they invite their coworkers into this. They invite their neighbors into this and they start these, these events that are very relational where people can come and ask questions. What's going to build trust with your neighbors? What's going to build the relationship and open the door so that they can come and ask questions? This is the second essential to explaining the gospel. Will you let your neighbors know the door is always open for questions? The third essential is courageously live out an authentic faith among your neighbors. Courageously live out an authentic faith. And in 1 Thessalonians Two, verse 8, it says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. What would happen if Christians actually lived this out in the world around us? Where we said, you know what, my neighbors, my coworkers, whoever it is, I care about you so much that I want to be living not only the gospel, but my own life in such a way that reflects the gospel because you're so dear to me. What would it look like if the church lived this way among each other, if we lived this way within the church? 
This is exactly what happened in this community, this city in ancient Greece, where Paul came and planted a church and said, we're going to live this out. We're going to let our authentic faith be known. We're going to be courageous about it. And we're going to see what God does. The believers in the early church were constantly positioning themselves to share the gospel and to share their lives with those around them. Talk is cheap, but living out an authentic faith takes more than just words. Jesus did this. He served, he blessed, he engaged with people. He helped the demon-possessed. He helped the hungry. He helped the blind. He rose the dead. What do your coworkers or colleagues, your classmates, your friends, even the barista at your coffee shop, what do they really need? Members of your family. These are all your neighbors. What do they really need? What are the practical avenues in which we can engage to live out our authentic life? My wife uh, has gotten into this great relationship with a, a woman on our street, a mom on our street, has a son in the same school as our daughter. And um, they've been getting to know each other through carpool and through some other things. And, uh, and so they started hanging out a little bit. And my wife and her have been starting to engage in just their stories and their background and their upbringing. And, and over the last eight months, as, as we've been building relationships together with our family, with their family, they've started to come to us and ask us questions. And in fact, a couple weeks ago, they came to us and they said, hey, this might sound kind of crazy. We, we know you've invited us to church and some of these other things, but we kind of would like to take you up on it now. Well, that's great. We'd love to have more conversations and have you guys come to church. So she says to my wife, she says, you know, my son, I think he really just needs to learn the golden rule. Can we come to church with you? I think, well, I'm glad church is a little bit more than the golden rule. Um, but yeah, absolutely. She says, and I think we also just need a little bit more Jesus. Who says that? They're not believers. But they grew up in the South, in a church background, walked away from it, aren't really interested in religion. And they say, we are hungry to explore this again. Not because of anything in my wife and I's life that's amazing, but that we want to be serious about living our th- our faith out authentically, courageously. <clears throat> so they came to church with us for Easter, and uh, they started talking about life and Jesus more, and my wife and her are going to start reading the Bible together. We want to live our faith out authentically. We want our neighbors to experience the life-giving relationship with Jesus. So this third essential, will you courageously live out an authentic faith among your neighbors. You can do this. We can do this. And God wants to use our life. He will use our life. The door is always open for questions. Will you begin praying for your neighbors today? Are you ready and willing to join God in this adventure? Are you ready to live as salt and light in this world? The people we care about, the people that live right around us, would love to come and engage in this good news with us if we'd be so bold as to step out and engage with them. Will you join God in his mission of redeeming the world one person at a time? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us boldness, courage, confidence to engage with you in a way that reflects you, in a way that exemplifies and demonstrates your love, your gospel, your good news to the people right around us. Heavenly Father, would you give us a mentality and an outlook that says, I want to pray. I want to pray for the people that are close to me. Would you give us availability and make us prioritize our lives in a way that we make ourselves available to have the door open to engage with our neighbors? God, would you give us the understanding to live out our faith authentically? And Father God, may you be glorified in and through us, and may we experience the great joy of joining you in this incredible adventure. 